Hello, and welcome to the Board Librarians, Episode 7, Council of Four, a game by Simone Luciani and Danielle Toscini. I'm Brian. And I'm Elizabeth. And we're here to talk about board board games. games. And today, because we're playing Council of Four, we decided to have our own Council of Four, and we have two extra guests. Guest number one, please introduce yourself. Hello, I'm Jacob Christie. And tell us about yourself a little bit. Um... I'm a high school student, 16 years old, um, big fan of games in general. I've been playing games consistently since, like, seven years old. I got, like, a PS2 for Christmas. Tell us your experience about board games. Ah, yes. Um, you were really the one who introduced me to board games. I think that 95% of the board games I play with you, and, yeah, you know, I think, that, like, over the years, I think it's been four years I've been playing with you now. And tell us about some of your favorite games you've played. Oh man, favorite games. Oh, wasn't it, wasn't it, isn't it called Camelot? The one with the uh... Camel Up. Not Camel Up. The one the one based off of uh, oh, Sh- the Round Table. Shadows over Camelot. Shadows over Camelot. That's probably the most fun I've ever had playing a board game. I actually played that today. Believe mm. it or not, at the school. And let's introduce our second guest. Guest number two. Come on and t- introduce yourself. Uh, hello, I'm Sawyer Beckwith. I'm a sophomore at um, Patman High School. And uh, what, what can you tell us about your experience of board games? Tell us some of your favorite games. Well, like um, Jacob, I was really introduced to board games by you when I started going to the library. Uh, I think my favorite game was probably Oriental Express, I think it was called. Chicago Express. Uh, Chicago Express, yeah, that yes. was really fun. That was close, though. Yeah. <laughs> whole time, the whole time I was playing the game, I remember I was trying to make a a train snake going around the map to try and block people in. It was very fun. That was a train game. We do play a lot of games at the library. I try to have game days frequently, and I invite these guys to play, and they were very excited to come on my podcast and talk about the game that we're going to talk about today. So shall we dive right into Council of Four? Yep. Why not? Exciting. All right. Council of Four is a two-to-four player game that is takes place in a fictional world. In the game, you are trying to build routes into different cities. And on your turn, there are four things you can do. The first thing you can do is you can push out a council member. There's four, dif- there's six different colors of council members, and you play cards that match their colors. And if you c- don't have the correct cards, you can make up the difference in money. And you can also change the, the allotment of council members. So, for example, if it's a green, a yellow, a purple, and a brown, and you don't have those colors, you can kick out one of them. And... The second thing you can do in your turn, and once you do that, you get a permit. The second thing you can do in your turn is you can play the permit, and you go into different cities on the maps, and you're basically trying to create a route. And when you connect different cities on the board, you get lots and lots of bonuses, and they kind of stack up. The next thing you can do on your turn is you can move the queen, which allows you to uh, basically manipulate the board and not have to have a permit to move into a city. There's also a bunch of mini actions involving servants, which I'm not going to get into too much. But... Let's just start talking about the game, because I don't want to overwhelm people with all these rules. And let's start with Sawyer. Sawyer, what were your thir- first thoughts on the game? Well, when I first thought looked at it, it looked a bit, um, like, intimidating. But once the rules were explained, I started to see people playing. It was relatively simple, just getting the right cards, buying the right, um, like, land early on in the game, I think, was really important, too. Elizabeth, what did you think? I think it reminded me of Ticket to Ride, but also Lords of Zith. 
Did Zid, it. Zid it. Correct. Between the pieces and also the the board a little bit with those um, look like paw prints actually <laughs> between the city and the little circles around. So it was kind of like a combination of a few other games to me. I liked that though. Jacob, what did you think? Um, I guess like I don't get too much into the reviewy part, but first impressions, I think the game definitely like dragged. You know, like it took a while and like it felt like certain plans took like three or four whole turns to really like come to fruition, especially in the early game. So that was like my big thing I took away from it. Yeah, this was my second time playing this game. The first time I played it with two players and it played in about an hour, but with four players, it took us about an hour and a half, which was longer than most of the games I try to play for this podcast. But I thought that it was more competitive with four players. With two players, it really wasn't that competitive. And it was more annoying because every time you move into a city where there's another player, you have to pay a servant. And if there's two players or three players, you have to play three servants. And that's annoying. What did you guys think about that part? It definitely got hard in the late game if you're trying to expand. Like You had to wait like at least two turns usually to get where you wanted to go because of the amount of servants that you needed. Do you think the game relied on luck, Jacob? Very much so. Um, so, for half the game, in my hand, I had almost exclusively gray-colored um, council members. And typically, the councils put up on the board aren't just one color. So it was a lot of having to pay extra money and then go through loops and investing extra time just to do the same things that everyone else was. So it definitely did feel like, even though it's only one portion of the game, it's like super big and like effective, you know? That's true. You can manipulate it with the money. If you're missing the cards that you need to play, you can actually just spend money instead. And I thought that, you know, it did help you mitigate the luck. What about you, Elizabeth? Do you think there was too much luck in the game? It makes you feel better. I had a lot of wild cards throughout this game. So wild cards give you the ability to make it another color, but you still have to pay, like, a little bit to make it that color. So, you know, that was kind of almost the same thing, but not... I mean, it still didn't give me, like, buying those actions for free, so I found I was spending a lot of my money. But it wasn't, like, a dice-rolling game, so... No, it was just the luck of the draw of the yeah, cards. Yeah, you were able to manipulate what you had, but it just cost you. Now, let's talk about the artwork. First of all, let's get Jacob's impression on the box art. Oh, man. Um, it's, like... It's very fun in, like, a weird way. I'm looking at it right now, and it's... You know, very animated, very over-the-top, gaudy, which is kind of a little bit, like, a bit of a trap, because I'd consider this game to be a bit more of, like, a slower-paced, like, thinky-type game. So you're saying the box looks more fun than the actual game is? Yeah, basically. <laughs> now, Elizabeth has a lot to say about the queen. Queen looks scary, and I'm looking at the cover of the box, and, like, she looks pretty scary on there. It's kind of like Alice in Wonderland-ish, like... That's actually what I was going to say, too. Yeah, I'm sorry. I just stole your thunder. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, way. like, she she was kind of scary. Uh, and, you know, the box, their faces look kind of scary, too. But the pieces, they look kind of scary. But I liked I liked the, uh, we're just talking about the cover, right? Yeah, the, the woman the woman on the cover with the pink, there's a pink hat, and it's like, kind of looks like devil horns. And she yeah. has a very menacing look on her face. Yeah. She's super creepy. It's I a like Halloween it, episode. It is actually. This is a good Halloween <laughs> episode, although it's not released until November. And oh. I do oh. think the cover like complements the pieces well, though. It does. Now let's talk about Soya. What did you think about the pieces in the game? Because I know you were impressed by them. They were very good. They looked 
But if you look at the picture of the character and imagine them in 3D, that's what they would look like. They were made perfectly, in my opinion. They look great. Well, here's a question for all of you. Was the game overproduced? Was it necessary to have such elaborate plastic pieces? Yes or no? I don't think so. I mean, I don't know the price of the game and how that affected it, really. Because, like I said, I don't know the price. But I think it overall helped the game feel more alive looking at the board and stuff. I can tell you guys a fact about this game, that this is a reprint of the game. The original game was much uglier. The pieces were not plastic. They were actually meeples. They were like wooden meeples. And when you kick someone out, they were in like this little wooden structure that you kind of push them out of. It wasn't wooden, actually. It was a cardboard structure. So this is like this company, which is Simon, Cool Mini or Not, is what they stand for. Their games are known for minis, so they love making minis. So this game has minis. But I don't think they're necessary. I think it's a nice visually presentable game, but I think it's not necessary. I did look at the pictures, because um, part of our episode is book reviews, and I wanted to see the layout of the board to see if that changed my book review. But yeah, I remembered seeing, yeah, there were there were little holders for them. I really liked the pieces, and that's not saying that swayed my decision in enjoying this game, because uh, there's those monster games that you've had that have cool pieces, and I didn't like them but I like the pieces but this game I like the pieces and I like the game so that's like a double win that is a (laughs) that's a double win for sure now let's talk about the variability now the board comes with double-sided which is always a plus I pointed that out as we're cleaning up it also comes with these tokens that are randomized and there's also a bunch of different contracts do you think this game will get stale if you play multiple times what do you think Jacob um I think that's like probably the best part about the game is how like I feel like even though I've only played it once, I could definitely play this again and probably have a very different experience. Especially, like, this time there was a point in the game where I kind of got stuck, and, like, the big plan I had for, like, my big game plan kind of just got, like, messed up because of the layout of the board and the way it was randomly generated. So if it was, like, any other combination of, you know, people, places, and things, um, I think I would have had a very different game. And so that's, like, interesting, you know? Roast about game. Yeah, Elizabeth got a lot of points, but so did Sawyer. Sawyer actually won the game, but Elizabeth and him tied at the end. But Elizabeth went for the yellow spaces, and they were worth, like, what was it, 25 points at the end of the game? Yeah, it's 20 points at the end of the game. 20 points. And then there's also the queen tiles, which was 25 points. So Elizabeth started the... Even though her score was lower than everyone else's for most of the game, she ended the game with 45 extra points, right? I think it's 46. I think Sawyer knows better than I do. So I was impressed by that, and I think that that's definitely something you want to go for when you're playing this game. Yeah, it's actually one thing I wanted to say about the game is I feel like it relies very heavily on the bonuses. I feel like if you don't get, there's uh, two bonuses you can get. You can get um, one bonus for having all of one color, like all the land for it, and you get another one for being the first person to have all of one color. I went for the cheapest area that only had two, but I got 25 for having all the blues at the beginning, and then she got the yellow, which is her 20, but she didn't get as many for being the second person to have all of them. But I feel like if you don't get one of those, you probably can't win. Now let's talk about the combos. What did you think about the combos, Jacob? When you put the pieces on the board, I need to explain this, there's different rows that are connected to each other. So if you put a guy into a city and you have another guy in the city next to him, you get the bonus of the city you put it in, the the city that you have next to it, Mm -hmm. and the city up next to that. So it's pretty crazy. What do you think about that? Super satisfying. I think probably, I know I just said that the versatility of the game was the best part, but I'm changing my answer. This was the best part. I think that, like, especially considering how much of a drag there is and how long it takes to set these things up, when it finally does come to fruition, like, it's just, like, as Brian said, like, you can just get bonuses for 
if you theoretically chained every city on the map, which is impossible, but if you did, you just get, like, so much, you know? And it's, like, then there are, like, other mechanics that let you go again. And really, if I know Sawyer did a very good job with this, but if you, like, really plan, you can, like, go crazy and just, like, completely dominate for one or two turns. Although I have to say, in Elizabeth's defense, she didn't have any bonuses toward, like, the mid to late game, but she ended up <laughs> tying for first. I was trying to get lots and lots of combos, but obviously it didn't pay off. I think there's definitely some strategies that work and then some that don't. So I think it's interesting. Yeah, none of my cities were connecting for most of the game. So <laughs> I was like, well, the yellow thing might not have helped at all because I really had no points until later. So I guess that brings us to our review. And we're going to start, well, first let's explain our review system. It is from 0 to 9, 0 being the worst game you've ever played, 9 being the best, and there is no 10 because there's no perfect game. And we'll start with our guests. Let's start with Sawyer. So, Sawyer, tell us what you thought of the game overall and give us your number rating. I think I would give it a 7. I liked the art. I thought the loops were really fun, or the like the combos that you could have there, really fun, very satisfying, um, as I said earlier. Um... But one thing I don't like is, like I said earlier, the bonuses I feel like are way too powerful. I feel like you can't really do much unless you get them early. That's completely fair. Jacob, what do you think? Um, I think that one of the most important things with having a good board game is allowing the players to be flexible and letting them kind of change their strategies and approaches midway through the game. And even though this game has a very high production value and is like very nice like in concept... I think that the drag and how slow the game moves makes it so that if your initial plan doesn't fall the way it should, like, you're kind of, you're screwed. You're out of the game, like, basically from, like, turn three. So I'd give it, like, a five out of nine, because it is, like, an objectively Whoa. good game. Yeah. A five? I've yeah. given fives before, Brian, so I think chill. I think it's objectively good, but it's just, like, there are, like... There's, like, a problem in its, like, skeleton, you know? It's not, like, something that's, like, external. It's, like, this is, like, an internal part of the game that's, like, broken. That's fair. Way. That's fair. Okay. So, I like this game. I don't think it's my favorite, and I think that I like the way it plays. I like that it's it's definitely faster with two players. With four players, it does drag. I admit that. And it's, like, you're waiting to get to your turn. It's not like people are taking a long time in the turns. I just think it's just... it's. You could take long turns. You know, if you if you do the double actions in your turn by paying three servants, your turn's going to be really long. I would give it, I want to say like a seven. I think a seven out of nine is fair. I think that I enjoyed it, but there's other games I'd rather play. Elizabeth? Mm-hmm. This is where I differ with you again. Um, I did enjoy this, and I think it's partially because it reminded me of, like I said, Ticket to Ride and also Lords of Zidith. Yes. Um, so, like, the familiarity of it kind of helps. I know in the beginning I was like, just to clarify, how do I get this? How do I do that? So that took me a little bit, but I felt like I was still able to jump in. So the um, the fact that I was able to understand it was good. I love the pieces. I, I, like, I just really love the pieces. Even though the queen is scary, I like the pieces. I like having the cards, the colors that you need to match up. But that's the component that I liked from Ticket to Ride. So I'm going to give it an 8. <gasps> See, I, I differ from Brian sometimes. Elizabeth's Game of the Year. I didn't say that. I just <laughs> said I gave it an 8. <laughs> game of the Year, 2019, Council of Four, Elizabeth. I gave an 8 last time, oh, yeah, too. I guess. I'm just giving you a hard time. I know. I thought I'm not it, so by it. <laughs> that's fair. Okay, so that sums up our review. And now it's time for our 
book review. Book review. Elizabeth's going to talk about a book. Okay. So originally, Brian gave me the heads up that the game is called Council of Four and that there's a queen in it and that there's also other councilmen. And so I had initially wrote down a few titles that um, two of them have queens in it, but I'm not going to talk about those in depth, but I will mention them. The ones with the queens, there's Wicked Lovely. It's a series by Melissa Marr. It's about like fairies and the fairy court. So it's not just about a queen. It's about all different kind of royalty. It's a fun fantasy read if you like that kind of stuff. And then another one that involves a queen is Cinder. It's part of the Lunar Chronicles by Marissa Meyer. Yes. It's kind of funny because Melissa Marr and Marissa Meyer are two like authors I always have to think about because their names share a lot of letters. <laughs> so um, don't get them confused. But um, Cinder is like a sci-fi Cinderella story, and it's pretty cool because each uh, book in the series focuses on another fractured fairy tale. So like the second one is Scarlet, who is Red Riding Hood. And then the third one is Cress, who's like Rapunzel. So it's kind of cool. But the one that reminds me the most of this game is it's a fairly new book. It's uh, There's a third one coming out. And it's called Gentleman's Guide to Vice and Virtue. Did you read that, Brian? No. No. Well, um, did, he, did, you, did, you, did you read it, Jacob or Sawyer? Um, I've never heard of such a book. Sawyer? Nope. Okay, go on. Okay. So um, partly why I'm talking about this one is the map. So, like, how you're trying to, like, move around. And it's it's kind of a fun book because it's a little bit of everything. It has, it's like an adventure because Henry Montague, him and his friend Percy, along with his little sister, Felicity, are going on his grand tour of Europe. And this is, like, his last chance to have a life because his dad is really not happy with him. And this grand tour is supposed to be fun because he's visiting the country, but he, um doesn't like doing what he is meant to do so it's a fun adventure it's like a comedy it's historical fiction there's some lgbt in there so it's like representing that community and um yeah there's some like um what is it a little fantasy i guess it has a little bit of everything in it and it's funny it's a humorous story too so um that's the one that i feel is most connected because they also like visit versailles and there's some stuff that happens there, too. And, um, yeah, just the whole council thing. So that's the one. I have a book to talk about. Isn't that shocking? <gasps> He's <Okay>. a librarian, <laughs> so shouldn't <Not> really. be. <laughs> but it has nothing to do with Council of Four. It's a book about board games. It's called Your Move, What Board Games Teach Us About Life by Jonathan Kay and Joan Moriarty, which sounds like a Sherlock Holmes name. And Joan Moriarty works in a board game cafe that's famous in Canada called Snakes and Lattes. And they talk about board games in pop culture and board games like different how to play, not how to play certain games, but certain games that apply to certain kinds of people. And they also bash Monopoly, which I enjoyed. And I thought it was a pretty good book. If you're into board games, modern board games, it mentions a lot of the games that I play. So it kind of like struck my fancy. I have to say one of the authors was slightly more interesting than the other. I'm not going to say which one, though, because I don't want to offend them. But... I did like one of the authors better. It was like an alternating perspective book. So I guess that's it for our author reviews. Now we're going to talk about teaching board games for our last few minutes of our podcast. So let's talk about, first of all, do you guys like the way I teach the games? Yes. If I can understand the game and learn how to play it, that 
normally means you're doing a good job. Nothing you've ever taught me a game that I don't understand by the end. Jacob, what do you think? Yeah, I think that you're very thorough, and I probably wouldn't be playing with you for this long if you were, like, not good at explaining them. <laughs> Elizabeth, what do you think? I, th I think so. I think when I don't understand it, it's sometimes just me <laughs> kind of zoning out. So um, that's partially my fault, either because I'm not caffeinated at the moment or I'm hangry. But if I'm not understanding something, you do, like, take the time to like not focus on what your turn is going to be and you do help us get through it so that's nice but sometimes you do forget to be like oh I mentioned that and it's like I would have played totally different but I'd say you do a good job so this wasn't necessarily intended to boost my ego although it did slightly um, <laughs> <laughs> I do want to say that uh, teaching board games is not an easy thing I could probably spend a whole hour or two talking about how to teach games but I'll give people some general tips and suggestions the first thing I suggest is to read the rule book, which is a given. But more importantly, I like to go on YouTube and watch videos, reviews, and I like to watch playthroughs of the games. I agree with that. It's very boring, but not necessarily. There's a couple. There's a guy named Rado who is very entertaining. He talks to his wife, even though his wife is not there. And at first I thought she was a fictional person, but she's not. Um, and you watch him playing the games. He says, okay, on this turn, I'm going to do this. And he tells you what he can do on your turn. And that's how I kind of get an idea of how to play the game. There are some actual rules, walkthroughs, like they actually tell you how to play the game visually, which is helpful. But learning a game is a task. It takes me, I would say, between an hour and three hours to learn a game. And then teaching it, I think some of the key things that are most important is people want to know how do you win. And just saying how to get you just need to get victory points which I sometimes say it's kind of obnoxious because it doesn't actually tell you how to win you need to tell them what steps can you do what different methods can you win the game like you can do the A, B, and C or you can just do D you know every game has a different route of winning but I think that's the most important thing on how to play I also think that it's very easy to overwhelm people and throw them with a slew of information say okay here are the rules and there's this you can do and this you can do and then you go into all the different circumstances and I think you start losing people I think that you do have to explain enough to teach the people how to play the game, but it's okay to kind of teach and play as you go. And I don't know, what do you guys think about that? I know um, sometimes mm. games, resources, and money are hard to come by, so I think that's another thing where uh, you might want to warn us, like, don't spend your money or don't spend your resources too early, or this resource is really hard to get, get it while you can. So those tips are usually really helpful as long as knowing what you're working towards for the end. Another tip I want to give is also, this sounds really stupid, I haven't done this a lot lately, but what I like to do sometimes, I like to set up the game and pretend to play it myself. Even if it's not a one-player game, I'll actually set up two players and I'll just run through a couple turns and I can actually see how they go because some of the games it's really hard to play unless you actually visually pick up the pieces and start moving them around. Do either of you have any tips? Yes. Yeah, um, going back to telling your players like how to win I think that's like super important as someone who's been playing board games with you for like four or five years at this point I think that when I when I have the most fun it's when like not only like how to win but like what specific elements of the game are scored when that's addressed in the beginning I think that it makes it a lot more interesting to play because now it's like you know what exact like what your methods exactly are especially in more complicated games where there's like a lot of different ways to win being able to like have full understanding of how you can pick and choose just makes it a lot more engaging and you like you feel like you're a part of it and not just like an observer what do you think Sawyer well I know it's gonna sound pretty simple but 
usually it helps if you go first if you're trying to teach someone because for me visually is probably the best way to learn so that's how usually I learn is I'll see someone do their turn and I can sort of emulate it and use my own strategies but I see how to buy something like in this game I didn't really understand when you just said it like it kind of gave me the pieces when you told me how to do it and then I saw someone do it it all kind of came together into understanding how to play the game. And I want to point out that in most modern board games, they reward you for not going first. So, for example, in this game, the first player started with a certain amount of money and one servant. The second player started off with a dollar more and two servants and so on. So it's okay not to go first, and I don't mind going first in a game. A lot of the times when I play games, my father, every single game I play with my father, he has to go first. <laughs> I don't know why. It's like his thing. But I'm happy to go first. I don't care if I go first either. I don't think there's a huge connection in most games if you go first and winning. But I do think that, like in this game, going first, you get to basically choose what you want first. That's why they make the second player get more money and more resources. I think that the game is truly well-balanced. It will give you the option to have a catch-up mechanic. I do think watching the uh, videos ahead of time on YouTube is also helpful because a majority of the strategy games I play, I've learned to play from Brian, but a few times I've bought strategy games for my brother and we've gone to play them, and then he assumes I know the rules, and I'm like, I didn't check ahead of time. Like, you should have. I bought this for you. And we've resorted to looking at how it's played on YouTube or parts of it if we didn't understand the rules. And I have a question for all of you. This is going to be our final question, I guess, for this episode. What is the best way to handle if you get a rule wrong in the middle of the game? I think play how you've been playing the whole time because if you've been playing it wrong, everyone was playing that way beforehand, kind of gets screwed over. <laughs> we've done that where we've just continued to play. Another thing I like to do is I'll say, okay, after this round, we're going to play the right way. We'll keep playing the way we've been playing for this round, but as soon as the next round starts, if there are rounds in the game, you start over and you basically say, okay, here's, you know, we're going to play with the correct rule. That's true, too. We've done that. Um, I'm going to disagree with you, Brian, on that one. I think unless, like, the mistake is, like, game-breaking, I think that you should just play the game out the way you were before, only because, obviously, like, even if everyone broke the rules, there are going to be some people who are doing the rule-breaking more than others. So it's like, if you're doing all this rule-breaking, and halfway through it's like, we're stopping, we're playing by the rules now, the people who made more mistakes end up, like, inadvertently getting rewarded, you know, compared to just seeing it out with this new modification. So you don't think there should be a restart for the game? What if you're, like, near the beginning, then you could restart? Or, like, Dinosaur Island, where all the hooligans yeah. were the actual customers, and that was not working out too well, because <laughs> it was the opposite scoring going on. That we had to change. And I, and I want to point out, I don't think, you guys are obviously not nasty, and but I want to point out that there's a, I own over 200 games, I can't memorize all the rules. I will make mistakes on the rules. Do not get mad at me if I tell you you can't do something in the game because it's not my fault that I forgot a certain rule. <laughs> it's honesty, and I can't remember everything, and I didn't intentionally forget a rule on purpose. I usually just go, Brian, and then I get over it. <laughs> yeah. Some people have more difficulty getting over that. How dare you. I also want to point out, that since we have two teams on this episode, that I am always very impressed by how fast you guys learn the games. Much faster than adults learn. I feel like you guys picked up on it way quicker than I did. I was like... And I, I think that's something to say on. with... When I play with teenagers as part of my job, I have a lot of teenagers who play game, games with me, and I'm always very impressed with you guys because you guys are very smart, and you learn the rules very quickly. 
all different ages. I mean, obviously there's some people who don't catch on. They'll never catch on, not to be mean. And that's adults, teens. Some people just don't really get it. But most people your age do get it, and I think that's really cool. Like one thing for me specifically too is I've been playing video games my entire life, and some of those like strategy skills from, like um, like mobile games sort of translate over into here with building up resources, and then expending them at the right rate to give yourself the right amount of score. Yeah, I think there's definitely some connection between playing video games and board games, and some board games try to emulate video games. That could be an episode in itself, talking about video games to board games. I'm cool. still mostly in the world of Super Nintendo in that one, so... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Elizabeth likes her Super Nintendo. But I do like Super Mario 3, which is technically based right. off of regular Nintendo, so it's actually yeah. older than Super Nintendo. And you know, your... saving my raccoon feather and my frog costume. And she's obsessed with Princess Toadstool. Yes, who later became Princess Peach. But she didn't like to call her Peach. I know her as Princess Toadstool, because that's how I met her. So I guess that's going to wrap it up for this episode, right? I would say so. So let's thank our guests. Thank you, Jacob. Oh, thank you for having me. Thank you, Sawyer. Thank you for inviting me. And I hope you guys will possibly come back in a future episode. And we'd like to thank the Sachin Public Library for letting us use their space. We'd also like to invite you to follow us on Instagram. It's, what is it? The Board Librarians. Is it The Board Librarians or Board Librarians? Try both of them. One of them will work. <laughs> it's the one with the dog, okay? Look for Cricket. Yes, Cricket is our mascot for the podcast. Tune in in two weeks. Uh, follow us on Facebook and subscribe to us so we can it's get... It's Board Librarians without the the. Yes. Board Librarians. And I also want to point out we may be changing feeds soon, so look out for that. If you see us not making new episodes, we are going to let you know when we're changing feeds. So... Thank you guys, and I hope you enjoy the episode. Thanks.